This week on Backyard Footy. They're the parents. It wasn't just the students, it was the parents as well. And they were yelling monkey, monkey chats um, at our whole team. Um, and, you know, at a young age, you know, like I was about 16 or 17, you don't really have the answers for that. You don't really know what to do. You have a lot of emotions that run through you. And, and at that point, I felt like I couldn't do anything. I don't know, like, they just didn't look at me. I'm like, that's my everyday. That is li that's literally my everyday. And you're, you're saying, like, go ahead, like, try to, try to pick someone from our class. Try to say, who looks like me in our class? Who is a teacher that looks like me? Who is a coach that looks like me? Who is a professor that looks like me? Who is anyone? Like, other than the people you see on TV, someone mentioned Arsenal. Arsenal was my team, too. Thierry Henry, Sadia, Sol Campbell, all those guys, the guys I looked up to. And, you know, I didn't even, that didn't even click with me. Like, Henry clicked, but all that stuff didn't click with me. So I think in terms of having diversity in the places, like you're talking about the, the Redskins hiring the first president who's African-American, you know, having diversity in those places is, is paramount. I can, I can, you know, link you to somebody who can help. Um, I think that goes a long way. It just like kind of shows you that like, look, I might not get it, but I'm going to try to help you no matter what your situation is. Because I think as a kid, when you're looking at an adult, uh, you can kind of see through a lot of the bullshit. Excuse my language, but... No, you don't have to excuse the language, remember? <laughs> That's right. Um, but I think it's good just, you know, just to be honest. You know, it's just a, a self-assessment as well as um, a, uh, an olive branch not, they might not be worrying about their life because they're young, but they're worrying about someone in their family, and it's very hard to just leave that behind. So to create an open environment where the kid can just go up to the coach and be like, hey, my mind's gone, not because of practice, not because of you yelling at me, it's because of these issues. Like, all right, man, you know what, I'm not taking a step back, take a day off or whatever, but I feel like creating that open environment is just going to go a long way. I think there's no time like now that just saying it and believing it is one thing, but putting one foot in front of the other and like really going out there and fighting for it. I think that that's something that I'm excited for and like the steps you guys are taking to, to do the right thing and not just say. One touch, one love. We stand against racism. We embrace our differences. One club, one love. Today, tomorrow, and forever. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What's up, footy fans? It's your host, Hugh Roberts, a.k.a. Superhuman. We're here live for the 42nd episode, where each episode I dive into the backgrounds, journeys, and experiences of professional athletes, former athletes, coaches, and anyone that's been involved with the game. I know it's been a while since the last ep, but you know I have things in the work always. Because of my last Black Lives Matter athletes episodes a couple months ago, we began talks and forming a USL Black Players Group. We saw the MLS's whole initiative in the bubble with the whole display. It was impactful. We knew immediately that we needed to do things and formulize ourselves. We officially announced in August because of those talks. We announced the USL Black Players Alliance. We've been talking with over 100 plus players within the USL before we even announced. But due to the NBA shutting out their games and that whole week of all games being canceled, we needed, we knew it was time for us to make a move now and you know conform to these times. So within a matter of a day or two, I'm talking about we had a game on 
the first USL game in League One was on Friday. We had to get everything situated for the protest and what we wanted to do. So we were in constant contact with the league and got over 100 plus players trying to get everyone unified. Long story short, we ended up just giving the ability to each club, letting them protest how they please. But it was a whole process and ideal. And within 24 hours, we announced, we got everything on social media. We also um, got things formulized within the league, got things unified with the statement all within 24 hours. It's a whole headache, but it's a process. And we officially announced it's been a great, great way for us to get things started. As a, co as a Black Players Alliance, we want to amplify the Black voice. We want everlasting change, like Blacks at head coaching positions and in the front office owning clubs. Opportunities for us post-career, getting our licenses, reaching um, assistant coaching or head coaching positions as well when we finish our careers, and also owning clubs. We want also every USL club to affect their community in some way. We all They all have resources that can be used and in some way we need to make a difference within our communities so the fight doesn't stop and the list goes on but this, some, this is something that we've been working hard for this is uh spearheaded by brandon miller and i with some others like people do um aaron mounds been in the mix and some others but spearheaded by brandon and i we've been in talks here in charlotte for some time now and knew we had to get knew we needed to get things started and so yeah, fast forward in a couple months now, and here we are. Uh, for this 42nd episode, I got partnered with the Independents. I had over six pro players, five academy directors, and a couple other local influential Charlotte people. From the pro players, I had Aaron Mound, center back, Clay Dimmick, right back, Tresor and Bayou, rookie on the team, Shalom Duty as well, another rookie from 1-7. Both of them are local pros. Had Duke LaCroix as well and myself, Duke's a left back. From the directors from the independents, I had Thomas Finley, who was the CEO of all Charlotte Independence Club. I had um, Saren Vogelwed, who's also a Charlotte Independence director. I had Keith Poston, another director. I also had Drew Polly, another director. And lastly, I also had my man, um, Nate Walzer, who's the assistant coach for the independents director of goalkeeping as well and we we're also joined by cleveland sellers who's on the racism tax force for the club independence new tax force that they just formed we we're also joined by mark wright who is an espn journalist here locally in charlotte has some his sons used to play with the independence academy i was also joined by sandra gaston who's a soccer parent a black influential woman here locally and yeah, it was a, over 14, 14 people total, all great perspectives, all educating ourselves, all sharing the experiences that you won't get anywhere else. And we're all coming together just to enlighten people. As I mentioned, the work never stops. Keep having those conversations with people who don't look like you. Keep getting out of your bubble and just learning new things. It's the only way we can affect change. So I appreciate you for tuning in and let's get this show started. that we feel can show that we're about oneness, about inclusiveness, and about impacting and influencing people. Ultimately, that's our job as a youth soccer club, is how can we impact and influence children in the game of soccer, right? And obviously, hopefully, they pass that on to someone that gets passed on and so forth. That's what one club, one love is, okay? It's about respect, it's about treating people the way you want to be treated, and it's about being a good teammate. 
Okay, we've been involved in many, many discussions on this, and we've kind of formulated um, a game plan about the why, how we educate our staff, how we talk about it in the community, what our outreach is, and everything else. And some of you have already been part of the conversation. So, with that said, this conversation is the brainchild of Coach Nate, and we'll let him talk about it, and then Mr. Wright, how we get here. So thank you for being here and participating. Yeah. Cool. So the, the biggest thing for me is, is through an organization, we want to take you guys and we want to continue to foster a culture that is starts from the top, goes all the way through the youth club, and we give you guys an environment to share with, with some of the younger guys the experiences, the thoughts, um, the conversations that we're going to have to help them educate and to learn. The biggest thing for me is how we can impact the youth and so how they can understand what's going on, how we can help them to support them, to empower them, to make it so that they understand that their opinion matters and that they can understand. Because you look at the game, and the game is, is so complex. It's, it's not an individual game. And I think a lot of the things that we see in the game tie into social justice perfectly, the complexity of it. Um, you're moving in your lines. You have to break teams down. What does the opposition have? What does the outside, what do people on the outside have? And we have to figure out how to work through it and work together to ultimately overcome this. And so my, my biggest thing with this in this conversation is us sharing it as much as possible, as much as everyone feels comfortable, so that ultimately we can discuss what's, what, what are the experiences and what are the action plans moving forward for you. Because I think a lot of a lot of it has been talk and a lot of different things, but what are action items? What are action plans that we can move forward and really help the youth just to understand and to get better and to, to feel that they they have a voice and they're empowered. Uh, yeah, amen and amen uh, to everything that's been said before. It. And uh, you know, my piece of the sermon is always you guys have heard it before is that um, when George Floyd happened, when Lon Aubrey happened, Young and Taylor happened. Corporations and companies, and, you know, they felt the need to send out a press release and say, we are against racism, we're against social injustice of all kinds. We sent out a press release, and then they said, good, full stop, we're done, we did our part, and we're done, right? Um, and much credit to Thomas, who felt it was important to not only put out a press release, but to form a, a, a task force an anti-racism task force to actually do more than just the bare minimum, right? So uh, we hope you don't get tired of these sessions where uh, another one of these, hopefully you don't get tired of that. Something good always comes out of every single one of these. And um, I'm not fatigued, emotionally fatigued in these conversations yet because I, even though we all don't know each other intimately, um, we're all gonna leave here today and say, you know, something Mark said today resonated Something Sarah said today resonated with me, and then we take it. And of course, you guys are, are, are the pros. You guys are who the youth aspire to be, right? You guys went through the college level. You guys have touched your national teams. You're it. So we want you to take everything that you're absorbing here and somehow just leave it, leave it at their feet. So that's fine. And safe space. So safe space. So even though you see devices recording and stuff, don't feel like you can't be transparent, right? Um, don't, don't feel like you just can't speak the truth. 
so um, my kids know that when daddy can't find the word to an adjective, I drop an F-bomb. It just makes me comfortable. So look, I'm not saying you drop an F-bombs, but I feel comfortable today to just let it all hang out. And um, if we put stuff on social media, we're not silly enough to put that on social media, right? This is really for us here. The social media stuff is for us to just let our club know that we're doing more than just the press release, right? That makes sense? And from the hospital perspective, too, I want to say we have a lot of power right now, and this is why I really commend all you guys for coming out here supporting us as well, and not just, you know, staff and staff, all of us players. We have a lot of power right now. We have a lot of big impact makes and change right now. People are listening to us because of this movement, because of what's going on with these deaths right now. That's why I've been doing a couple episodes on my podcast, but this is, again, another opportunity to have the youth club staff, front office people, coaching staff as well. I feel like this is a, a rare moment where we can take advantage of and we can all come together and educate the masses. So, again, like I said, I do commend you guys for coming out, and I feel like this is the time to have our voice and our power and make some actual change. It's a positive, everlasting change. And so from, from that standpoint, what do we feel like as pros, how the club's gone from the beginning of the movement during quarantine to now, how do we feel like the club is progressing over time? That's the place. Yes, yeah, everybody knows. Okay. Them. How do we feel like the club has been progressing over time? I think uh, the club, and I'm going to speak in behalf of all the, the task force, I believe, and the club at the same time because it's, it's representative. I, I think originally, you. The idea was, let's develop something that we can package, put a, a ribbon on it, and then launch it, and then say, that's it. But I think the more discussions we got involved in, within the task force, we started realizing what, I mean, I think it was the second meeting, we actually sat there and had about a 45 minute conversation. We said, okay, what is racism? Right, his definition of it may be different than mine. And Europeans' definition might be different than America. So, but what really, really is that? And we just taking the time and peeling back different layers. So we really understood what is it we want to accomplish, why do we want to do it? And but within that process, we had to really pull back the timeline in releasing something that said, that's it, we're done, this is what we're about and going forward. I think what we've really accomplished out of the gate is, is, is having conversations. Uh, and not just in a small group format, that is everybody involved in that group has had those conversations with other people in the club. And, and for the very, very first time, this is conversations that, honestly, people never really talked about before. Uh, and I think, for me, that's the biggest um, accomplishment right there, is we're willing to say, hey, this ain't cool, we're gonna talk about it. And if you're uncomfortable, we get it, let's talk to you. Um, the club has lost a ton of men. We've lost a lot of members because of this. We've lost maybe close to six figures where people are saying, that club ain't about me, you're supporting Black Lives Matter, we're out. And we're like, okay. And not one board member, not one staff member, they said, hey, should we revisit this? Everybody said, let's keep on. And for me, that's, we've accomplished that. I mean, from that, it's, from that, to me, it sounds like the conversation is more so needs to be had with the parents. And, you know, like it's 
doesn't sound like the kids are taking themselves out. Uh, so like how would, I don't, I don't, you know, obviously you guys are better with the, the youth side of sports than we are, but how does that happen? Is that something that is possible to get parents on the same page in terms of having those same conversations? Because, you know, I feel like, especially the, those age groups, they're not really making that many decisions, you know, purely on their own. Um, and so the more conversations that the parents are having with the kids, and the examples that the parents are showing, I think is going to be the most effective way for those I mean, particular age groups, for sure. Yeah. I, I can talk over this. I don't want to talk I'll, uh, I'll jump in, right? And, and I'll start by probably introducing myself, right? So Cleveland Sellers um, moved to Charlotte probably 10 years ago now from Atlanta, uh, originally from the Carolinas, small town, Denmark, South Carolina, country boy. Uh, married for 20 plus years. Um, I've got three kids. Uh, older daughter, 18, who's at Pembroke playing soccer. Um, a son, 16, playing for independence. And my youngest is 14, uh, playing for independence as well. Um, so first, I'm a parent and I'm a fan of game, right? What I've noticed is some of the challenges and the conversations that we're having some of us have been having for a long time. We've been seeing and hearing things, and we've been having these conversations amongst ourselves as African Americans for a long time. Now what I've noticed is um, there is an appetite and a need to have those conversations at a much broader scale, right, uh, with different groups of people. Um, one of the benefits, and I'll, and I'll talk with our club specifically, one of the things I've noticed, and uh, I'll go from a macro to a micro level, uh, soccer globally is very diverse. But one of the, one of the ways that I became a soccer fan was, uh, and I'll tell you, I'll age myself, right? I remember as a young kid, I used to watch soccer on TV, but it came on in this weird out, like three in the morning, and back then we didn't have remotes. I used to have to turn the dial in between channels and it would be in a different language. But the only team I would catch in Denmark, South Carolina was Arsenal. And when I watched Arsenal play, for me, and I didn't figure this out until later, they looked like me. So I could relate to the guys playing. I, I saw a sport and I said, wow, so we, we play soccer, right? And, and it's, a, it's an amazing game. I'm gonna try to play as a young kid, right? So, so there's importance in us being on the field, on the sideline, and physical uh, in the game. What I've noticed at Independence is that, for the most part, especially in the academy, I'll speak for the academy, we've got a very diverse group of, of kids, right? Extremely diverse group of kids. They're having conversations with each other. I think your point is valid. The parents have conversations as well, probably not as much as our kids, um, but it's where we need to go, right? We, we as, as adults, as, as pro players, as coaches, parents have got to start having uh, those conversations. Um, and I think we're doing more of that now, right? Uh, circumstances and, and the, uh, the deaths by police and, and uh, brutality created this swell of inertia that's made it easier to have uncomfortable conversations. I was watching the clip you sent me, right? Uh, I think it's conversations with a, with a black hat. 
uncomfortable conversations conversation with the black app. Amazing YouTube feature, right? Um, and those conversations, it's funny, I watched all of them, and most of them I'm like, oh, I thought that. Yeah. But some of that I've never said out loud, right? Because they are kind of uncomfortable. But we're in this space now where you've got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, right? Um, and, and so I think there's progress, but there's a lot of work. There's a lot of work to be done. I, I mean, you know, with my kids going through the program, I've, I've seen situations where uh, a player on an opposing team calls one of our players an N-word, right? What happens, right? That kid may be ejected. You may see him in the next match or may not. But, but what happens to that kid that was receiving it? Right, because all of you that have, that have had that happen, you go through the anger and the rage and, and you just want to hit something or somebody, and then you go through, wow, that, that was a term, that was derogatory, that was an insult. You, you know, you, you go through a, a range of emotions. So I think while we have those conversations, we have to be there for each other, and that's a collective, um, so that we can make sure that at the end of the day, we're helping, right, mentally, physically, um, and that we move the needle in this discussion. Um, and, and I think we're, we're getting there, right? We're making progress. We're not there, but, but we're making progress. And, and to Thomas's point, to stand up, and, and what you'll find is corporations, more to your point, I'm executive at a very large corporation, um, they're bottom line driven. Right, they'll make a statement, but they're not going to go too far because they don't want to lose money. Right? What Thomas and the team have done is that we're going to make a statement. And it's going to be impactful, but we'd rather have the people with us that are with us, right, than uh, than people hiding in the corners. Um, so, still a lot of work to do, but but I think I think we are uh, we are making progress. I think we're not. Come on. Who's that dude? Come on. Uh, I think from my standpoint as a player, to be completely honest, kind of like you said, it's been a work in progress. Um, this whole quarantine started around March. That's pretty much started around March. <clears throat> it's been going on for a while. Not only have I been speaking out, but other players on this team have been speaking out. And the support from the club wasn't there all quarantine. And we've had to go around the club to do some of these issues. And even just to address a simple statement, it was kind of a hard time for, for like this club even to put out a statement until they received some backlash on Twitter and social media and some players as well. And I mean, that all ultimately just speaks to us. We all talk amongst ourselves behind closed doors. And we're like, you see this room right now, there's a bunch of minority players on this team. The fact that the club doesn't want to put out a simple, a simple statement for us and our standpoint, it really does speak blind. And sometimes silence does speak more blind than you're just saying something. Going on a couple weeks later, a statement comes out and then disappearing again, probably around April. Disappearing again until around June and July, and as you said before, clubs just put out a statement. I think that's that, and, that, and that's enough. Going on a couple weeks, there was tweets on social media from all the owners and stuff. Fans caught wind of it. Fans are now, you know, bringing the independence. And when you get that social media backlash, of course, people are going to speak up now. But I feel like it could have been a simple solve was addressed to us, a simple statement or simple things that were going on right now beforehand, so before these instances even happen, it's like, okay, the independence is already ahead of the curve, we're going to support them fully. 
but it's been a work in progress, and I do commend NFS for even having this conversation because I don't see any clubs continuing to see continue on with the work. We see a statement a couple months ago from majority of the clubs, but the majority of the clubs haven't done anything. Here we're having these meetings here. We've met with the same the CFO, trying to work out some food drive and some health plans as well. So the progress has been, you know, a step in progress, baby steps here and there. It's been a work in progress, been getting there, but it's a better late than everything. And like I said, I do commend the organization for speaking up because it does this, this community because I've been here to move to last year, but it's very diverse. A bunch of Spanish people, a bunch of black people. You're not just speaking to us, you have to speak to the kids and the next generation way the kids that are coming up parents, whatever, they're all going to see independence and be like, hey, are they going to speak to us, minority players, or not? If not, maybe we'll look elsewhere kind of thing, but you don't want that. Ultimately, it's a business, too. We want everyone to feel to, in some sort of togetherness and camaraderie. So, I do feel like it's going to work in progress, and, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, sorry. I'm sorry. I think it's, uh, I think it's great. Kind of the thing that you said, it's about for continuing the conversation and how many people who have been continuing the conversation. It's uh, just about the education. I think Keith might have talked about it uh, earlier on. And you, you said you were at training and you heard some six, seven, eight-year-olds having this conversation? Yeah, so, so the thing is, you know, when we talk about it, right, I, I do work with our grassroots program. Um, so the conversation is happening in and around us. Um, and it's up to us as adults, as coaches, as parents, um, to figure out how we, how we deal with it. But the, the kids are having a conversation because they're in school and they're what at this when they were in school and they were talking to their friends so within the neighborhoods they were dealing with. Um, but again, not many adults are probably current having a person talk to them and explain to them, you know, this is what this means and this is how this is going and how do we rectify the situation, how do we make it better. But yeah, those, those conversations happened. We were at camp and it was it was little little yeah. kids having a conversation off on their own and I had to come by and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know? But again, we as a club. To what degree do we have, or do we owe, as a parent myself, do we owe to those kids and to those families to say, this is what this means, right? Because some parents are you know, a little bit of a hesitant. You're not going to talk to my child about this or that. Yeah. So those, those things to be aware of. But I think you I think you made a good point, right? And and it's a, it's a dynamic, fluid situation uh, from a collective uh, perspective. And what I've noticed in, in corporate, you talked about the slow response, right, or lack of response. Um, I think that was that was everybody, right? And, and when I look from a corporate perspective, my company didn't make a statement. It took months, right? And I said, well, well, why is that? And then I looked at our leadership group, right? No one of color or minority, women, no one sits in our leadership boardrooms, right? We are one of the largest global uh, company, huge. When I looked at our board, nobody looked like me or anybody else on our board. So who's, so, so it, it was, so what I noticed is, is taking time for companies and organizations to assess and say, number one, what do we need to do? And then number two, how do we do it so it's not, Thomas, I think we talked about this on a call, so it's not just a statement. What do we do so we're impactful? We don't want to be first, but we want to be the, we want to be the organization that, that sustains for a very long period of time, right? So, so my 14-year-old is sitting in the same chair, right? 
thinking about some of the same things, part of one club, one love, right? So, so it is sustainable. Um, and, and that's the challenge, because you, I, I, I felt the same thing. I was like, man, nobody's really, I'm putting all this sweat equity, you know, seven to eight every day, and nobody said anything from our organization. Nobody sent an email and said, hey, I know you're having a rough day. We get on conference calls and it's business as usual, yeah. right? And, and I can't, you know, I can't bring my whole self to work because I just saw somebody that looked like me and my brother be killed on camera, right? So, so you, internally there's this conflict, but nobody, nobody says it. Right, so so so, how do we do it? And and I think we're we're getting back. Right, it is it is going to take time because the shape and the look and the size of organizations has to change. It's it's a uh, you're right, Cleveland, and great points. We are at a point in our world, right? And part of me wishes uh, I was 24, 25 again, because that's that's. I'd be in it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I'd be I'd be playing a six all the time. Yeah. Somebody, right? Um, we're at that point in our in our world. I mean look, the Washington NFL team, my team, I grew up in DC, right? Took a plane from Jamaica, landed on my twelfth birthday, and it was on a Sunday, and the Washington NFL team was playing, and that's my team. That became, I wore 44 for John Riggins. I don't major this. And um, they just hired Jason Wright, no relation. Uh, he's the first president in that, in that franchise. That's also the NFL's first African-American president. The league is 100 years old, right? Uh, also, the team just changed their name, right? Uh, the team is 100 years old. Uh, and they don't even have a name. They're so confused. This whole movement messed them up so much. They're like, let's just go to Washington NFL team. Name, right? Um, so it's not just us, right? I think actually in this race, we're in a, we're Usain Bolt right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're looking back like, wait a lot. And that's a shame. Um, but look, corporations, Nike, Adidas, right? Now everybody's on front street. Saying New Jersey, everybody's on Front Street because now we're not just looking at the brands that you sell to us, right? We're actually looking in your C suites and we're saying, all right, just like Arsenal, who in your C suites look like us or look like America or look like the world, right? Uh, worked at ESPN for many, many years and I've been in many meetings where something doesn't feel right. Something and we, we preach diversity and inclusion. DNI, 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 right? Um, so we have diversity in the room, right? But we don't have inclusion, meaning if I see something, I actually feel empowered to actually be a whistleblower and not feel like I'm gonna lose my job tomorrow, right? I think a company like a media company like ESPN, I felt at some point as I got older that not only am I at the table, I actually feel like I could. I could nudge the president and say, no, nah, you can't say that. And I remember as a young pup at the company, um, when vernacular, we would put vernacular in our stories, you know, like, uh, you know, my dog, D-A-W-G or D-O-G, or 
you know, or you drop the you drop you drop the G and put an apostrophe. And these were conversations that, as a young pup, I was a part of because my old, mostly white male editors, right, just couldn't understand um, why make that D A W G because if it's actually D O G, then you might actually somebody might take that in a literal sense. And let's not. It's okay for you to put. F M dash. You don't have to actually put F U C K. We get it because some of our readership is 14, and they get it. Like you don't have to be that. Like these are conversations that I was a part of. And now go to ESPN.com, uh, find a magazine if you can find one, and and that was just part of their culture, right? Which is to, to Cleveland's point, uh, we have to start somewhere. So maybe by the end of uh, next season, we'll actually have a woman. Uh, president be hired by another NFL team. Um, I think the NBA obviously gets it right. So not only do they have shirts, and this, I got friends working at the bowl uh, in Orlando, and they're hearing whispers of people who actually don't like the movement, don't like the Black Lives Matter, and they've been outing themselves. I don't know if you saw the, the graphic on that's been making rounds on social media. Um, a photographer who's been a long time consultants um, with the, the NBA. And he's had this contract forever. And he put something reckless on social media about Kamala Harris. Fired immediately. Five years ago, he could have done that. He probably did it for uh, uh, Hillary Clinton, right? Wasn't fired. But we're in a different point where people are like, you know what? I'm gonna fire you because it's the right thing to do. I'm gonna fire you because also, you're not gonna mess with my paper. And I think that's kind of where where we are. So whatever your reason is for doing the right thing, because whether it's in your heart, change the name from Redskins to whatever, uh, hire a black executive because you're doing it because it's the right thing to do, or your constituents are like, we expect you to do that, or we're not going to buy your we're not going to buy your brand, we're not going to come to your games. And I think that's where we are, guys. So you guys, uh, you young soldiers, are at a point in your existence because you're young. I happily sent my son to college in this pandemic in Washington, D.C. We were happy to send him. We worried, but they're at a point, and this is his time to, to be on the forefront of what comes out of this. What's he gonna do at my house in Gastonia in his room playing Xbox? Man, go to the fight and be vigilant and be smart. Go there, man, and represent the name. So I just wanna encourage you guys, all of you, to understand what kind of power, white and black, that you guys have. That's pressure. Every touch's gotta be crisp, but it kinda is what it is. I like, uh, I like one of the things you said in that, and it kinda hit me a little bit. And it was, uh, yeah, we have a ton of diverse rooms. There's always a diverse room, but do you really feel included in it? And I don't have that experience, and uh, I have friends who have been, have said that stuff. And they've said it to me in the past and quite years ago when things like that happen and they've been like, man, F that person, this. And I'm like, dude, what are you getting so mad about? Like, I don't get it. Like, why are you mad? Just F them, relax, get on with it, dude. Just get on with it. And not necessarily this and maybe some experience in the past and it's, it's struck a nerve with me. And from my experience, I've said, dude, just forget that person, just move on. And he's like, no, don't, you can't just move on. And in the past, and in moments in my life, I'm just like, all right, move on, but you can't. And I think in this moment, 
maybe for me, has really struck a chord and that the wokeness that you've talked about a number of times, that no, you don't just move on anymore. And it's made me think about how many diverse rooms have we had that kids have not felt included? Like how many teams have you been on where I'm sure you grew up in, I'm sure you guys have all played for predominantly white teams, 100%. Diverse, not really, but did you really feel included? And maybe you were on a diverse team, but maybe you still didn't feel included. Like I, it, it makes me think about how the kids feel. How, how, how can they express themselves? How can they play freely? How can they speak their mind? When I don't really know if I belong, it's hard to speak your mind. You don't know, what, do I say the right thing, do I not? Are they just gonna write me off and give the response like, dude, why are you getting mad? Just get on with it. But the, the, this for me, and, and I just keep going back to thinking, like, how do the kids feel? And how, how do those they feel in those moments? And how is this impacting them? I just think that the conversations that are being had and the stuff that you guys are putting out and the stuff that the club's doing and all of that, just that, that sentence that you said there, it's diverse, but are you, are you really included? That kind of struck a chord with me a little bit. Yeah. Um, in the places like you're talking about the, the Redskins hiring the first president who's African American 
you know, having diversity in those places is, is paramount, it's huge. You know, as, as a young kid looking at your staff and having people who are in those positions be inclusive. You know, having an executive board that's willing to say, we don't stand for this. This isn't, you know, something that we stand for. And I think, you know, if, even if you have people who are inclusive, it's tough to kind of say, this is what's going next. You know, like, why would I want to be there if they don't look like me? You know, so, so people don't necessarily strive for that. They don't, they don't say, oh, that's a room I want to be involved in because it is uncomfortable. And I think having these kids, having these uncomfortable conversations with someone who doesn't look like you is willing to at least say, hey, let me spend a second in your shoes and see what you're thinking. Is, is huge. I think that goes a long way for the children. And hear that story about those kids talking about that, that's, you know, that's changing. I don't think the adults want to have those conversations. And you know, that's something we can try to address and talk to more, but, but they're fully developed individuals. I think that's a tougher conversation to have than to have a kid who's going to grow up and have more kids, or have a kid who's a peer of a kid, even though the parents aren't necessarily in your club anymore, but you know, they, they hang out, they go to school, they, they meet virtually, they're going to have these conversations. They, they don't want to be on the outside looking in if all of their peers are having these conversations, and then they'll be un willing to be uncomfortable. And then I think that's the point, is how comfortable are you being uncomfortable? and still being a, a functioning member of society. So just that anecdote, it's just the idea of, of looking around the room and it, it doesn't look like you. I think that's tough for a kid to, to swallow my personal experience growing up. Uh, my name is Benjamin. Um, so back to what you said about the soldier thing, I think that growing up, um, like it's obvious to see the opportunity to get. Um, a lot of my friends of color were from diverse backgrounds you can kind of see, hey, they don't get many opportunities like we do. And like, my family was always one who raised me to, they would come with us, they would stay at night and stuff like that. And I think now we've gotten to the point where like, okay, we can say like, this is wrong, and we can believe this is wrong, but your point about being soldiers, I think now's the time to kind of like strap up and be like, all right, let's fight for this. Let's start taking action. And our brothers are hurting out, out there, our sisters are hurting. So I think there's no time like now than just saying it and believing it is one thing, but putting one foot in front of the other and like really going out there and fighting for it. I think that that's something that I'm excited for and like the steps you guys are taking to, to do the right thing and not just say it. Yeah. I have a question. The, the, the main actually, I thought about when you said inclusion and inclusiveness too. I got one definition, Paul. What is it that would make you feel inclusive in a group? We can we talked about Adidas coming up with these benchmarks, you've got to hire a self percentage and these big corporate organizations developing some diversity guidelines, right? But what actually makes you feel as though you're it's really challenging because it's not a quantitative right. type of thing. It, it doesn't sometimes it can be a room full of you know white faces are feeling food. But it's just it's qualitative and that's tough to say because it's companies want qualitative. I think institutions Sorry, the quantitative, they need the number, they need the data, they need statistics, what's the number we need to hit in order, what's the threshold that, that we have to yeah. cross in order for everything to be fine. But I, I don't think it, there's a threshold that. I think that's the most challenging part about it. It's, it's a feel in terms of, uh, are, you, are you willing to be open to your experiences? Or do you no longer see me as the other? I think that's, that's something that's intuitive. It's not something, you can, you can see it in any interaction with someone else, you just know that you're no longer the other and you're a peer. You're a colleague, you're a friend, you're a family member. I think everyone, I think in this room has had that feeling, it's just tough to put your finger on it. But I don't know, quantitatively, I can say this is the 
threshold of 50%. I don't know if that's it. When you make eye contact with someone, you no longer feel like you're the other, you can feel the conversation. Yeah. I, I want to jump in just to add in, when you talk about diversity and inclusion, and I know parents, I apologize for being late, but that work coming from Morrisville. Um, when you talk about diversity, you get into quantitative numbers that's counted data. When you talk about inclusion, that's a different realm. That's about acceptance, that's about trust, that's about freedom to be who you are. And that's, you can't, there is no measurement to that, and there's no definition to that that's, that's a cultural establishment. Right, you develop that culture and that awareness. As, as uh, Mark indicated, as a pup, he felt one way, and as he grew, he felt comfortable and free and entrusted to speak. That's that inclusion, right? And that's that culture maturity that will, that will develop over time as you, as you set that tone. But that's a dis distinction between when you say diversity and inclusion. One is about numbers. You can have the count. That does not mean you have the inclusion of the empowerment and the freedom and the trust that I can be who I am in, in any capacity, whether it's related to racial or whether it's related to any other area that's, that's diverse. I think to piggyback, to piggyback on that and to start with you having us, I know my mom and my pro player in the meeting was to have us in the meetings and hire some guys that's already on the staff so when issues come, you're not one same time, you're not talking about pleasure, you have a conversation and boom, what's going on? Maybe he put up a statement himself, maybe he already talks to you guys about the meetings, like this is how we feel, this is what's going on, this is what you guys need to say, to say, but to have one of us in the meeting, a couple of us in the meeting, just opens the door for everyone. It's just gonna educate the masses who don't understand. It's gonna create that environment where you feel comfortable now, even not just for us, but comfortable for the counterparts as well, because they've never had to deal with these situations. So the whole open environment where we're including in the meetings, we're including in some decisions, we're also not just from the top, but also in the youth decisions as well, because you're saying you have a six and eight year old talking on the field, I mean, man, that's so impactful, because I coach as well, I coach the U13 boys team, and you know, I have a bunch of minority Spanish kids on my team and black players on my team, and I haven't had talked to them yet, but sometimes, a lot of times, coaches tell us to leave what's going on off the field, out off the field, but it's very hard to do that when, okay, the six or eight year old might not be fearing for his life, but he's fearing for his older brother or his dad, I remember when World War II happened, I was in fourth grade. My grandfather was in New York, my aunt was in New York, my aunt was in the World Trade Center. So I was just busting out crying all the time because I'm worried about my grandfather, you know? So when these killings are happening, they're not, they might not be worrying about their life because they're young, but they're worrying about someone in their family, and it's very hard to just leave that behind. So to create an open environment where the kid can just go up to the coach and be like, hey, my mind's gone, not because of practice, not because of you yelling at me, it's because of these issues. Like, all right, man, you know what? You might take a step back, take a day off, or whatever, but I feel like creating that open environment is just going to go a long way. It's like we've been talking about bringing your old self to work, right? Mm -hmm. um, brother, that was powerful. Mm -hmm. um, and and yeah, I had the opportunity to talk to um, my son's team at America. And really, I wasn't talking to the team, I was talking to his white coaches specifically. What I said, what I need uh, faculty and coaches of not just soccer, but all teams, really I'm talking to soccer coaches, right? And I'm like, um, now when you see a black and brown player come to train and his countenance isn't right, his attitude isn't right, just something about him isn't right, before you play the easy card, which is to say, that's just you, man, he's got an attitude problem, that's just who he is, right? And then, and then 
things follow that, right? You, you speak, you speak recklessly to him. You bench him, um, and you can see where this will go. He, he eventually becomes disenfranchised and affects his play because you all know in order to play well, you have to play free, right? Um, so I said, instead of playing that card, now this social and racial awakening that we're going through, now you're going to be a better coach where you're going to say, instead of playing that easy card, you might put your arms around him and say, yo, Hugh, you good today? Yeah, all right, privately, or maybe even in front of his teammates so he doesn't feel like he's special, that special, right? Like he's got special circumstances. And literally, I saw uh, my son's coaches, who are, again, all good guys, right? And they're going, I have never in my life heard anybody say that. I like to think I'm prophetic. That ain't, that ain't prophetic. That's just talking off the of them. Um, so, and again, that just speaks to, to bias, right, that we all have, right? I, bring, I, I brought all kinds of bias up in this room today, right? And I will leave with that. Um, which is a nice segue to our, our, our video piece. Can I ask a very pointed question? One of the things we're working on is coach education, right? How to teach. You're saying you haven't even talked to your team, right? You're probably more qualified than anybody in our club. Out of you guys, what can, if anything, our coaches say, do, or act? They would make it feel okay for you to go to them if they don't have the same skin color as you. Can we train them good enough with compassion and empathy and have them have so much trust with you? Would you as a player go to them still if they have a different skin color? And I'm throwing that out there, right? Because we have to talk to a lot of coaches that don't look like our players. Is it anything, or is it, or is the ship sailed? No, I think, uh, no, I think, uh, from my perspective, I think that, you know, if I go into a, a team situation, I'm looking at a coach, and I can, like, kind of tell from a coach's background that they're not going to be able to understand everything that I come to them with. Um, where I feel like I'm being heard is when the response is, all right, I might not have the answer to your question, or I don't know, you know, how to help you specifically, but I can lead you in the right direction. I can, you know, link you to somebody who can help. Um, I think that goes a long way. It just like kind of shows you that like, look, I might not get it, but I'm gonna try to help you no matter what your situation is. Because I think as a kid, when you're looking at an adult, uh, you can kind of see through a lot of the bullshit. Excuse my language, but. Nope, you don't have to excuse the language, remember? <laughs> That's right. Um, <laughs> But I think it's good just, you know, just to be honest, you know, it's just a, it's a self-assessment as well as um, a, uh, an olive branch to the kid. Uh, the other thing I kind of wanted to just say while I had the floor was uh, just kind of, I, I felt like as a black person in America my entire life, I felt like a puppet, you know what I mean? I, I feel like it's all, there's always cameras flashing. They're putting a camera in your, uh, a mic in your face, like, what do you think about racism? What do you think about this? Uh, and it's frustrating because the progress is not, does not match um, the level of intensity of the conversation when the cameras are there. Um, so the question is, like, what, you know, the one love, one club, one love, is it a motto or is it, you know, steps? Is it like, 
know, we're taking, we're going to go after recruitment, we're going to go after, you know, all this, or like, what is, what is the ultimate, I mean, I know what the ultimate goal is, but how are we getting there, you know what I mean? There's no, there's no ultimate anything, because there's no ceiling on it. We're looking at who and how we hire people, black, white, brown, male, females, we're looking at everything, we're not just making a statement, um, there's no ceiling, there's no ultimate goal in the sense of if we get to this, we're succeeding, right? So we just want to impact and influence as much as possible, as long as possible, and um, as continuous. Um, I want to create an environment at the youth club where we won't have, we won't have the answers to it. I, I wake up in the mornings and I say, I'm sorry, my wife, before I even get ahead because I make mistakes every day. Now that's tongue in cheek, but we're going to make mistakes. I want to create a culture where the staff sit there and say, I just talk, I will listen, I will listen. And for me, that's what we need to do to create inclusiveness. It's just freaking listen to people and respect people. And you may not agree with it, you may not understand what they're talking to. You may be from Scotland and have no idea with someone's like growing up in a small town in South Carolina or North Carolina, but you just need to listen. And I think by listening, that's where if you're, I, I'm told personally, because I don't know if there's a certain point it's too late for someone to get it. You got it because how you were raised. Some people may not get it. So that's why for us it's very important to focus on the kids. Focus on the kids, focus on the kids. And if you can pull some parents along with you for the right, great. Um, I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah, you did. No, yeah. I think it's really good, and I think to piggyback a little bit off some of the things that people have said, it, it's about people understanding their experiences and understanding, especially for a coach like Thomas's question, you. What what could a coach say to you? Well, what if you go up to a coach who's never had this experience before, who like literally just doesn't get it? And I guess I go back to my experience. Uh, my mother's a marathon runner. It went to New York City every single week in my entire youth and always took me into the city. And we stayed in Harlem with this guy, Tusfei Fei, won the New York Marathon in 2005. We'd sleep on his floor every time we went in there. We'd get there and I'd be like, rolling out the sleeping bags. And I buzzed off it. It was like my favorite time ever. And I went in there and there'd be block parties. My mom would pull me out and she'd go, go. Hundreds of people in there, she'd just say, go. I'll see you in a few hours. There's not many parents who would do that. And I didn't know any better. I was out. Basketball, there's a basketball hoop, I'm going. We're gonna be fine. But I had those experiences. And it shaped me through my mother who's been, who doesn't care who you are. She'll take you in, give you whatever you need, do everything. But what about the coaches who don't have those experiences? What about the coaches who really cannot relate? And you're gonna come off a bad, I had a bad day, a kid shows up to training and you're, and you're like, dude, let's go, run, let's go. And the kids just had bad days. Something's happened, it, it, we don't know what goes on off the field a lot of the times. And now kids have to show up and you have to perform. I mean, you guys have to perform in training. But I don't know what, sometimes I don't know what you're going through. I mean, you guys have, are doing so many things off the field. I guess the formulated question off of this is, is how, how do we help coaches who do not have the experiences to help to relate to some of the players in the youth? Yeah, and uh, kind of answer that question, and I guess answer Thomas' question as well. It's, 
adjective you came up with listeners. Uh, I think that's really important. Um, but it's tough to listen if no one's talking. So I create the environment where you're getting the kids or the parents or whatever it is to talk to you. And um, something really, I guess, as a coach in my personal experience, is if the coach is willing to admit that they're wrong, but that they don't know, but that they don't have all the answers. If someone is just right all the time, why do I bother even asking them if they're right? You know, you know the answer. You know that they're going to say what they're going to say, and you're going to listen to whatever it is they're going to say. So in my experience, any coach who is willing to say, you know, dude, I, I don't know, or hey, dude, like, I, I'm, I'm going to have to find out. I think that was, that was what parents said. I have to find out what's going on, or now I'm going to have to get back to you and see what's going on. So if you're a coach and you don't have that experience, be willing to, to say, I don't know. Let me find someone who does that have that experience, and let's explore this together. Let's try to, to sort this out. Maybe I can have a better understanding of the experience that you're going through. Um, so if there's a type of you know coaching course or something for that in terms of being willing to say I'm wrong or, or I don't know is huge in, in sort of the coaching class as a kid. Because when you're a kid, you look up to the coach and you already assume that they're always right. But if at any moment in time the coach told me like, hey, that's a good idea, let's run with it, let's see what happens, or you know, build on that. But what's going that's powerful more. if you have yeah, that. Yeah, it's powerful. And it makes me want to go up to the coach for something else. I, like something else I don't know. Like I might, a kid might talk and say, I know the answer to this. Like, coach, you have to do it this exact way. Like, hey, dude, like, you know, maybe not in this system, but let's try it out in training on, on some of the area. Or let's re rework this and apply it in a different way. Rather than saying no, like my way or the highway. Maybe like, let's rework this and apply it. You might not necessarily do exactly what the kid wants to do. You might still do what you want to do in, in the long run. But just the idea that you're listening, will make them come up with something else, like something bigger than you, you know? Like, and in the little instances where you're listening and you understand, like, hey, I'm open, I'm here for you, in this moment where it could be insignificant, in a larger moment when it matters, they're also gonna know that you're there. I think that's Can you talk to your coaches? Yeah, I think so. Right now, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Is this a safe place? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's uh, a... <laughs> I think it goes off of what, what we want to do with One Love, One Club. We, we yeah. want to educate the coaches. We want to educate the parents. We want to educate the players. Like everyone needs education. Yeah, what I was going to say is um, when you ask that question, uh, if you go to players, and uh, even me in the beginning, uh, I'm just, when uh, we had this meeting before, um, you know, I, it's my first year at the club. I didn't know the coaches, uh, and the coaches look different from, from me. And um, you know, I didn't know whether I could... Um, Go up to Nate and say, hey, like, if this problem has happened where I felt uncomfortable with half my feet, I didn't know that. I didn't know who he was. So I, don't, I don't know anybody personally. But after we had that conversation and I saw the coaches that were in the room that were willing to come into that room and, you know, try to understand what was going, what's going on and how we could address these problems, I felt more comfortable going because if I had that problem, you know, I have a problem sharing my experiences. And, and so I feel like that part is very powerful. When you talk about, um, I remember you talked about the, what about the player that, um, that that's received that, um, that former rate racism work? Where is he gonna go? What is he gonna do? And um, you know, just knowing that the coaches are involved in this or something like this, you know, it goes a long way because you know, in the beginning you don't know someone. Nobody knows anybody in the beginning, but if you see them involved in the same thing, same things that you're going, that you're doing, uh, such as this, you'll feel, you'll feel more comfortable. You yeah. remember our first conversation? Yeah, I remember. We were joking around, we were making bagels, we were screwing around, and I don't know how it came up, we were talking about middle names. And I was like, dude, you're never gonna guess what my middle name is. 
And he's like, all right, whatever. And he starts talking. And eventually, my middle name is Jerome. And he's like, dude, you have a black middle name. There's no doubt about that. And we laughed about it. And he called me Jerome for like three weeks after that. And that was my connection with Shalom. And that was a moment I'll never forget. And it was just something where I felt comfortable with him. And he maybe felt a little bit comfortable with me. And we laughed about it. And I, I just thought it was a cool moment. And when you started talking, like, bang, that popped into my mind. I thought that was funny. Yeah. I think what, what's, what's interesting is what we're talking about isn't a science, right? There's not a curriculum that you can teach and somebody walk away and be an expert, right? What we're talking about is part art and part science, right? It's part of the DNA, it's part of, it's part of the curriculum, it's part of all of that mixed together. Um, Just because you are, you excel at X's and O's, don't mean you excel at connections and interaction with people. And we've all seen coaches that were phenomenal. But in terms of the interpersonal skills, it's like, oh God. You, 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 so, so that alone will, will, will stop you from having a conversation outside of the lines, right? You just, you just know that person probably isn't equipped to do it. So, so it's an art and, and it's a and it's a science, but it's definitely needed. The other thing I'll say is one of the most powerful ways to learn is from peer education, right? You guys will learn from each other. We'll learn from each other. Parents and kids will learn from each other. And coaches will also learn from one another. So in order, in order to have that transfer of skill and knowledge, it's gotta be diverse, right? You gotta have different perspectives. You gotta have women, you gotta have African Americans, you gotta have, what? you just have to be diverse and be able to, to learn from one another because coaches feel more comfortable probably going to other coaches than they will maybe going to Thomas, right? They'll feel more comfortable talking and asking questions to each other and saying, man, I, I want to go to Thomas, but let me let me bounce this up. What do you think? Right? I want to talk to Mark, but let me let me. This is what I'm gonna say. What do you think? So, so you have to start with that foundation. Um, and and again, I'm gonna say this over and over. This is a journey, right? No one's gonna get there wherever there it is, right? Overnight, it's gonna be it's gonna be a journey. Um, and with that said, we have to protect each other, right? Everybody in this room because um, the hurt, the embarrassment, uh, the range of emotions cause a fatigue. And you'll find yourself crying in dark corners by yourself, uh, having stuff inside that you, that you don't know if you can say or express. So having a, a group that you can share with, that can encourage you, that can give you that moment. You, you know what I'm saying? Just say it. It's all right. Right? Do, do you have that person you can get on the phone with or walk in and just lay on, lay on their bed and stop, like, like cry like you did when you were a child? Because what we're in right now, if you haven't hit it yet, you will hit that point of fatigue where you don't need somebody else. And it's important that 
that as I'm saying this, you, you evaluate what's, who's my support group? Who can, I, who can I have those conversations with? Who can I, even whether you're white or black, you, you, just, you just get tired. I, mean, I got to the point, actually about a month ago, I went to a, a vigil and uh, an older, older white lady said, what can I do? And, and I got so angry, and it wasn't her, it was just a buildup. And I said, if you ask me to do more work again, like, we've all, we're struggling, right? Why do you need that? Why do I have to do work to help you figure out what to do, right? In your circle, figure it out. You tell me what you're going to do. You want me to go through the problem and fix it at the same time, right? It's, it's that fatigue, right? So we have to make sure we have those safe spaces um, and those people that we can, we can talk to with and, and that can build us up and help us get through to the to the next to the next phase of this journey. I have a real quick thing, a couple couple things. Jerome made a great point. Though. <laughs> That's it. I'm Not as smooth as Cleveland, but we're trying. 
is just to understand and embrace kind of who you are in this moment, even though it's a moment of confusion and it's a moment of fear and corporations are timid and they don't want to do the right thing and we're frustrated by that, it's you guys who can do that. So just harness that. If, if you remember nothing else I say today, just remember that piece. I think lastly for me just to shed a light from the player's experience to answer Thomas's question and figure out my guys, you asked him how can coaches learn. And you know, kind of going off Nate too when you said, you know, what if a coach doesn't understand. From a player's perspective, to be completely honest, before this time now, I'm probably and I know most of my players that I coach and growing up with my area and that's pro probably never going to a coach about any off the field issues. If you're trying to make a varsity, if you're trying to go to the top Catholic high school, you're trying to go to college, like those things are in the back of your mind where you're not going to force your frustrations where a coach is like, oh, he might be soft and put him on the bench. Oh, you're complaining to me? Why? On the bench kind of thing. You, you just don't want to ruin your opportunity until you know this is a safe place where I have some kind of chemistry with the coach. Before then, if there's no chemistry, no nothing, a player is never going to come up to you. I had a kid the other day who had Oscar Slaughter and both of his knees and was crying on the field, but practicing. I'm like, yo, just step off the field. No, I want to play, I want to play. He's crying like, you're in pain, just stop. I want to go, I want to go, and his dad came up to me after, like, listen, I got to take him out for a couple of weeks now that he can barely walk. And I was looking at my kid, like, thinking about this conversation now, it's like, man, like, he really wants to play for me so bad in this elite team or whatever, and I understand, but from the player's standpoint, it's just like, ball, 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 until I get my opportunity, and then I'll, you know, I'll pull my push, and then I'll stop and take a break. So, from my perspective, from the player's standpoint, that could be sending emails out to, you know, the parents on your team, could be having conversations before practice, or just one kind of, one conversation before the whole season, address the issues. I'm here for you guys. Mark said, put your arm around the players. You yeah. guys need anything for me? I'm here. Bam, and going off Duke said, why don't you say that? The whole rest of the season, the door is open. Every player pretty much is going to come to you from a frust frustration standpoint. Anything you need to, that they want to voice to you, all because you opened the doors from the beginning. So I feel like just being transparent with your, par your players, your parents, sending them a little email, the coaches as well, talking to them too. like. Hey, you guys need maybe say a little so-and-so, a little piece, or send out a little email to your parents, just educating them, like, these are the issues going on. Okay, cool. The elephant out the room is gone now. Let's have fun. We all can, you know, have some camaraderie. So let, let me ask you another question. As a player, right, on the field, and I talked with Keith about being the talking black guy where people call reaction questions, right, and how to act and all that. And if, if we have teams, you said the academy is diverse, right? It is. But we have teams where there's one black kid on that team, right? And we have a lot of teams like that. If, if, I'm, if, I'm, if this is a team, and you're the one black kid in the team, whether it's the handbook, or whether it's a microaggression, something that happens on that field, if you say something, what do you need from your teammates when that goes down on the field? I'm gonna need to know that my teammates have my back. That instance happens, and I feel like y'all have my back. I'm not gonna say anything to you like that. The black is gonna follow that frustration and hate. Take it home. When I say something to his parents, you might start getting angry on the field on practice or during the game, and if you don't understand, you don't understand. Like Mark said, you're gonna bench him. I've seen this all the time. College showcase come out, you're not gonna play the kid. You're gonna play him less minutes just because the room wasn't open for him. And I feel like, as I was saying before, if you open the door for them, if you let him know, especially from the coach, it all starts from the head. Yes, the, you know, the teammates might not understand, but from the head, the point of the figures, like the doors open, all the other white counterparts as well might be like, you know what, I'm going to call my coach too. I got my boys back on the field, so and so. All right, cool, and if this happens, bam, I got my boys back, or now I can 
talk to Tommy or whatever about what's going on and stuff. But more importantly, we've got people. We've got people that are just us. We are just now talking about stuff. What is having your back on the field? Is it me getting another kid's face? Is it me helping you up and saying don't worry about it? What 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 is having your back mean? And that's different for a lot of people, yeah. right? Um, um, so last time we had this meeting, I was talking about my experience um, dealing with racism on the field, and I talked about how we were on the field with my team, um, very very. Um, we're a minority team. Um, we were playing in the Shaw United. They let us um, play there for them. So we had a lot of Hispanic players and we had a lot of African refugee players. And so the team was full of refugees and immigrants. And um, and so we were playing against um, a team that was predominantly white. And um, we were at their turf. And um, their the parents, it wasn't just the students, it was the parents as well. And they were yelling monkey, monkey chats um, at our whole team. Um, and, you know, at a young age, you know, like I was about 16 or 17, you don't really have the answers for that. You don't really know what to do. You have a lot of emotions that run through you. And, and at that point, I felt like I couldn't do anything. You sent me a video um, a couple of weeks ago where Rigo was talking about the same experience. And I felt like I related to that as well when he's speaking that same situation that happened to him. And, um, and so, to answer, to answer your question, it's like, how can you feel? Or what should your teammates do in that instance? Um, Mark, you said last time, you said, like, you don't have to play. I said, that, that game, I played the whole game. And I went home and I, and I dealt with it. And it's been five years later on. Haven't told anybody about it. Just carried on and just dealt with it at 16 years old. But what I was gonna say is, as you say, you know, a kid shouldn't have to play through that. You know, a kid shouldn't. And what I wish at that time was, I wish one of the opposition's teammate would have said, "Hey, you know, like what they're doing is is wrong." Like, about which something else, something more would have happened where the game would have stopped and they would have told him, "Hey, don't do that. We're not gonna play the game anymore." Something that was more extreme than just, you know, get on with it, as you're saying, and just, you know, what's going on, just move on with it, move on. Like, that's what everybody, every kid would do in that instance is say, you know, it's all right, move on with it. You know, another thing would be to say, hey, like, we're not going to stand for that. You know, as a team, as the opposition, we're not going to stand for that. You know, because my team was full of, was receiving that, that hate, you know. So if I did have teammates that were, if I was the only black kid on the team and I had teammates that were white, I would want them to say, hey, we're not gonna play that. Let's tell coach this is what's happening. We're not gonna stand for that. That's not who we are. That's not our club. And if something like that were to happen, it would make me feel as if, you know, I wasn't, I'm not going through this by myself. And I don't have to just carry on and shut up about this. You know? And I would feel as if I, I, you know, I matter in that instance. And so, you know, to, Talk about where you're talking, yes, like something more than just you know, being quiet in that situation. Having support of the club, knowing that this is what we stand for and we're not going to let it happen. You know, because I do feel like a big part of that piece is the kids that are receiving that that hate. You know, how do they move on with it? How, you, how am I going to move on with it? You know? And so, yeah, that's, that's unbelievable. And I think my, my hope through all of this. It's like kids now know, I'm going to throw it out with you if that's where it goes. Hopefully not.
but our coach is going to say, yeah, that my team's out of here. We're not dealing with that. And I think that's that's what I've learned the most. And I hope coaches and players know that we have their backs now. And from a club standpoint, we've got your back. That's not happening, not on our watch. We'll pull the team. Can't throw down the kids right now, but you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's part of the coaching education. Because I'm part of that uh, school, looking to develop that. We actually talked about what would be the protocol that coaches will follow when something like this happens. Meaning, instructions to players that says anything happens to a teammate in this in this incident or others as we evolve and work, we are inclusive to other things that are going on. That the response is. Just as when you score a goal, everybody comes together and says, I found right, whatever you all do. When something like this occurs, everyone comes together and says, uh-uh, this is not about you, we got your back. That words come to that player. That coach himself does what he needs to do to that player and he handles it from an official standpoint. But protocols and steps so that the players know that you have that their back is held. So we're putting something actually in place as part of with, uh, in, um, in clubs that come to clubs will be delivered this and told if this happens, teams are walking off. And I think one of the other questions is what we've been doing. And it's not just sitting talking, but we're doing a lot of work on it so we can actually impact everything. And I want to add what Clint, uh, on top of Cleveland about the emotional overload that will occur if you all have not experienced it to allow yourself to experience it. I have experienced it and, um, at work, and I realized all of a sudden I'm on emotional overload from what's occurred. From the George Floyd, from the years, the generation, the history of everything, that all of this has surfaced up. And I could not stop myself from crying. I'm remote, I'm at home. And I'm, you know, I'm doing conference and tears are just rolling. And I just shut it down. I shut it down for a whole day. I said, I have to disconnect because I'm on emotional overload and this is just hit its peak. If you haven't experienced that, and it does come, allow yourself to experience it and to go through it and it's okay. Because it's part of the healing process and I, Cleveland, spot on that this is a journey. It's a journey because life is a journey. There is no end to this learning and evolving. So there's no cap to this. And what Thomas has tried to implement in this one, as it has evolved to be, one club, one love, that inclusiveness, starting with racism, starting with Black Lives Matter, but the core essence of it about inclusion, period. About love, period, right? And so this is just the starting point of that, of that transparency, of that openness, of that oneness, of that empathy, that compassion, that sensitivity, that understanding for whatever is happening with every player from every coach and that emotional intelligence that our coaches will have to develop. Those that are not, you know, those that are introverted and not socially equipped, adapt, that, that, that evolving for that. And that's the goal to get to so that you have that growth. Yeah, yeah um, just, <clears throat> just building off of that aspect of, I think everything that's been said about, you know, um, the standards of the response to, um, the racism, whatever it is that's going on, uh, is so important. It's just the optics. Uh, I keep thinking about like this country and how optics play such a huge role with the mass and all this stuff. But it's so important to see that this is the response. Like if 
if a cop feels on a guy's neck, then you know he's gonna get charged with murder. You know what I mean? Like this, people follow that. Um, and I think that's really important. But also, like that kind of leads to uh, the conversation about cultural inclusion. Being able to see people at the club who are not only looking like uh, you know like me or uh, you know stuff like that, but also who are speaking, dressing. Uh, eating, listening to the same music, like, you know, it just needs to be more than just, um, I can't remember earlier, you said it was a difference between inclusion and diversity. And diversity. Numbers versus. Right. I think that that um, is such a big thing. I think the NBA is kind of starting to understand that. Like last night I heard Doris Burke say, in my bag, and I couldn't Except believe it. I couldn't believe it. And it's, it's crazy, but like, I still don't know how I feel about it, but at the same time, <laughs> it's like, it's like we, we see that there's something else out there and we want to put it out there so that we are accept that, you know what I mean? And uh, I don't know, I think that goes a really, really long way. Yeah. And, and I was going to say that uh, you, one of the first things you said was well, when Thomas said we've lost some members. I actually don't know, didn't know the number, Thomas. But remember in our conversations. In our, in our task force, and this is the point where we didn't really know each other that well, right? We said, hey, if we do this, we're going to lose members. Thomas, you might lose your job. Are you okay with that? Are you prepared for that? And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm sure he went home and thought about it. Like, okay. And then the second meeting, we're like, all right, the third meeting. And then by the third meeting, it was Miss Gaston who said, um, as, and I, I led the, the messaging, right? And she said, Black Lives Matter need to be inside your messaging. This isn't just a global, we're against bad shit that happens to black people, right? Because we're, we're better than that. No, no, we're here because, unfortunately, of what the world saw happen to George Floyd. Apparently it wasn't enough what happened with Amon Aubrey or Breonna Taylor or the thousands of others, but apparently the George Floyd one during the pandemic, when everybody was like in tune, this is the one that did it. And so if that's what it is, fine. So let's acknowledge it and let's not dance around it. Um, and so, and I was gonna say about the people that we lost, the people who left the club or no longer wanna send little Jane or little Bill to play soccer here at the club anymore. It's less about the message and really more about them, right? Believe me. I thought long and hard about every single word in the press release. Trust me, there's nothing in there that says this is bad for people in general. What it says is it's a really bad thing happened. We're reacting to it, and we're learning from it, and we're trying to be better for it. And if you got an issue with that, I ain't here for you. And there's just going to be people in our circle that we work with, that you hire, that you play with, who don't want to be in this meeting because they're against it. You can't help that. Thomas, I don't think you can help them. No, you, you can't help you can't help me. And this is what's so sad and fucked up. Sorry, I'm upset Because one of the phone calls I got was, listen, my husband's a sheriff, my father-in-law's a sheriff, South Carolina resident, my my husband's father's a sheriff, and my cutter. I mean I got the full history. And we can't be in the club because you just believe in black lives matter. That alone says a lot. You can't change that though. And this is what 
everything is up against. You know all that. I mean, you know this. Those and people are in the minority. We hope and pray. But yeah, and for me, I'd rather them be vocal, right? Be vocal, show your ass, yeah. and move on. But it's the ones that are not vocal, that somehow they feel as though the cat is getting dangled and they're, they're dying to say something, right? And so let them be vocal. But it's not about them. And it's not about us trying to teach kids, this is how you parents need to parent. It's about us saying, this is who we are. This is who we believe in. We're part of a team because we play soccer. It's in our DNA to be not a golfer, to be a teammate. And I think that's what we need to preach and mold because I think that's where you get like-minded people with diverse conversations and culture and all that. But like-minded in the sense of how I believe in an inclusive approach here. And um, I don't know where that from. Just but there, there is people out there. And you guys know this. That's the ship is sailing, and it won't come back. But we want it's the twelve-year-old kid, right? Do that we want to say, hey, you can do this on the field if something goes down. Yeah, I think uh, it's finding that balance of like not spoon-feeding everything, but also just guiding that conversation. You know, talk about having like coaches having conversation with coaches and players having conversation with players. But you know, how do you guide that that eight-year-old conversation? How do you give them the tools that they need to have the empathy that they they need to make the right decisions? You know what I mean? Like. I don't know that I'm qualified, but that's definitely. Dude, I struggle with more kids. Yeah. I was pulling up to the bottom. I'm going to tell the story. I don't know if you caught on. Because I said something, and afterwards it was like, shit, should I said that? <laughs> right? I don't know what I said. And my, I got six and a seven year old in the back, and we're coming up to the complex, tons of people, and she goes, ah, there's, there's Keith. And I'm like, who? Who's up? And she goes, the brown guy. <laughs> and the other guy goes, no, he's black. <laughs> and I'm sitting going, I said, <laughs> and I don't know, I'm saying everyone, what the hell? I'm being serious. I don't know what you're saying, one kids. Kids are great. I don't know, and I say something to you, like, yeah, what does he call you, Brown? And he was like, I don't know what he was actually. He was like, dumb phones. It was interesting to hear, though, I heard a story about Greg Popovich, and he had the same thing happen. Like, when it was all coming, I think it was his niece. She walked in the room, and they like, this was all going on on TV. And she was like, what's going on? And he, he said in this conversation, he froze. And he had no idea what to say. He's like, and, and this is a guy who works with black athletes every day. He supports him. He's one of the greatest minds ever in basketball. He had no idea what to say. And he changed the channel and he sent her out of the room. And he was like, wait a second. And he had to call her back in. And, and then he's like, whoa, that is wrong. He's like, I can't believe I just did that. And I froze. I didn't know what to do. And I just froze called her back in and had to explain the whole thing and talk to her through it and talk and talk. But like, even the most intelligent minds, the people who are in the trenches every single day, it's still uncomfortable for some people and they still don't know what to say. And I think like through all this, like, I'm starting to learn a little bit and maybe this is my own growth, like what I can say, what's, it's, it's not bad to say it, you're black. Doesn't, that's okay, that's cool. Difference does not mean efficient. And that's what I think many have to get to understand. Our differences does not mean we're deficient. You spoke to your friends coming into a group of minority or black and feeling uncomfortable and everyone doesn't look like them. And they said they felt unsafe. 
There was a perception about us in terms of safety, in terms of deficiency, in terms of what we would bring to the table to them. Unlike your experience, you may not have necessarily felt unsafe, although we have encountered that as well. That is assumed that if we are the only black who is all white, then we feel safe and we're okay because they're not perceived to be a bomb. Whereas that's a perception of us. And so that conversation you're speaking to is a is an individual thing, and I think in the United States as a whole, and particularly corporate, of understanding transparency. You spoke to if you're just honest and transparent. The issue with is the person black, is the person brown, it's just transparency and honesty to say, you know, we, we call the color, we call the race black, but the color is actually more brown. Let's look at crayon. We call us white. Do we really look like the color white? It's just transparency and honesty. And if you do that, you get to the crust of what it is. It's not that complex, it's not that complicated. But we have all these guards up and we don't just be transparent and real. And when you do that, the players, like you said, if, 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 you, if the coach does that, then I'll feel free to come to them. That's where trust is built. Every relationship we have, no matter what it is, it's the trust. And that's what the coaches have to develop. If they develop the trust, the players will come to them. If I can jump in. My name's Drew. I'm a coach with the club on the youth side up in Hunters uh, area. And my children are African-American. And they're four and a half. And I had that Popovich moment, if you will, uh, when one of my daughters came home at the age of three, and she said, my friend at daycare would not let me play in housekeeping because she said I was crap. So at the age of three, we're having that conversation. Uh, it came up again with George Floyd and some of the things on the news, having conversations with kids. And there's moments in which I, my wife and I would just just pray to God that the words that come out of our mouth are edifying the fact that as African-American four-year-old girls, they value themselves in the way that God made them and that they don't have to go through moments like that. However, they're going to. And I feel as a, as a soccer coach, just to bring it all back, I wish that these conversations would have happened when I started coaching in my early 20s because there, there are just lots of conversations that go on on the sideline between coaches, uh, between coaches and players, where you just you, you don't know children's backgrounds, you don't know where they're coming from, and that coaching education piece, getting to a point where those conversations can happen is just needed. So that protocol and, and that coaching education program, there's a need for it, because growing up in Northern Virginia, I, I had a sheltered life, and uh, it has negatively impacted the way that I've seen the world up until probably the last five or six years. And, and we'll, but, what awareness, but awareness is the first step, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and what I've noticed is we're all human, right? We, we, we all make mistakes. And uh, I've, got a, I've got white friends, black friends, all, all different backgrounds. And, and I try to create a safe space, right? So my white friends can ask me questions. They can even say some things that aren't politically correct. But we created this space where I can also correct it. But I also know that they genuinely love me and I genuinely love them, right? Um, and kids are going through the same thing. Not so much where you guys are, but on the youth level, you know, how many of us 
have heard the kids in the parking lot and a song comes on. And you know where I'm going, right? And it's a rap song and the N-word comes out and everybody yells it. And they're like, oh, and then it stops for a minute. Everybody's like, did he just say that? Like, we can say it. He, he just, it, but, but he didn't say it, he, you know what I'm saying, maliciously. It's a, it's a, it's a point of education uh, because kids are going to make mistakes. Unfortunately, right now, mistakes are costing kids scholarships, is costing them opportunities. So I'd rather them make it young, six and eight, and we can correct it. Because when you hit 16 and 18 and you make it, the consequences are, are a lot more severe. That's why what, what you're doing is, is hugely impactful. Um, we just, it, it was a kid playing with us on the top level that made a comment on social media, also scholarship. Mm -hmm. Literally, kicked off the college team, is now a student, right? Good kid, made a statement, he probably wishes he never would have made it, right? But, but because probably some of that education at a younger age didn't happen, um, and then we're still learning the dynamics of social media. I'm telling you, I, TikTok, and, and I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out. I like to think I'm here, but I, I'm just not. Um, I look. So, so we, have to, we have to make sure that we're educating. Again, we emphasize the kids and, and the parents. We, that's a pull, right? But, but the kids are so impressionable, um, and, and we're able to mold them. So, so I think that's important. And the last comment I'll make is about microaggressions, right? I think you may have mentioned that. And we see them everywhere. You hear them on the, on the, on the pitch. You know, um, I heard, a, I heard a, a, a rep this weekend, kid went in for a tackle hard, and he hit the, knocked the kid down, rep blew the whistle, got it. It was definitely, definitely foul. And the rep said, but you this is football, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. and, and immediately, most parents are probably like, oh, yes, he hit him pretty hard. But in me, I was like, mm -hmm. would he have said that the kid wasn't black? Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. exactly. right? And did he even know consciously mm -hmm. what, he, what he just said? Oh, <coughs> right? It, it's oh, little yeah. things like that that happen that are said, and you're like, oh, yeah. God, here, you know. But we, you know, it's at a time where we have to start addressing things like that. I have a black friend uh, who's a dad in the club, and um, he has a son who is, my youngest is 15, and Nobian is 16. And Nobian is just a big kid. And he, he, he's tall and he's got muscles already, but you know, he's got a baby face, right? And, my friend said he saw another dad in the club who was white. He said, hey man, I saw your son at the park. Um, and man, man, yeah, he looks like a grown man, right? And I just told you that the kid is big and, and whatever. So the guy didn't tell a lie, right? But my black friend was like, oh my God, I don't need you to see my baby boy as a grown man. Yeah. Because now, police officer is going to see him as a grown man with a broken taillight or pulled over for no reason, right? And treat him like a grown man. Um, 
and when he goes on to, a, uh, to get an internship, right, they're going to look at him and see something else, right? So he's like, so his, his response to that, right, and his, and his um, frailty, he's like, oh, shit, I have, to come, I have to say something to this guy. So maybe he learns and he realizes I have some love with this company. He said, yeah, he might look like a grown man, but that's my baby. Yeah. Right? And so maybe in that moment, the white dude, and maybe a, a humanity bolt went off where he was like, oh yeah, he's, he's, a, he's, he's, he's still a baby boy, right? But it's just those things that you think about. Everybody here has stepped on a pitch. Everybody here has stepped on a pitch where you're the only, only black player on the field. And when that happens, everybody on the pitch, referee included, makes certain assumptions, yes. right? He's fast, he's aggressive, he lives in the hood, yeah. he whatever. Like all, of the, all of those things, right? And, and palms get sweaty. Everybody's palms, or he's super fast, that's why he's a goal scorer. Or if he's a center back, watch him, he's gonna break somebody's ankle. What, what, oh, he's a football player, right? Cool. All of those things. And then, and then, how can you bring your whole self to the game? To your point, how can you bring your whole self and just yell, man, just make sure. I'm nice today, I make all the right decisions, as every touch is crisp. Mm -hmm. No, you know that that's the halo over your head, and now you either have to not live up to that, or maybe in, in a strange way you're like, well, they think I'm the aggressive one, I guess I'm just gonna have to do that and, and live up to that. That's a lot of baggage. So you got 40 pounds of baggage heading into a game that ain't even start yet. Because you see the referee and you know he's thinking, I'm a linebacker. You see this guy who thinks that little he thinks I'm whatever, right? That's a lot. Yeah, That's a lot to carry. Sandra said that a few times. Like, that microaggression where you're being sucked on and the other coach screams, watch out, he's rapid, make sure you stop him. Yeah. And I never even, I didn't even think about that. I, I mean, that's so naive. But I was just like, get on with it. But yeah, it's just because he's black. That's why he said it. And it's, he must be the fastest guy in the field. It's nothing else, but those microaggressions. No, I'm, I'm going to this. I'm, I want to throw this out because Hugh, you were talking about if you're struggling to get some of us involved, right? It help. So this is very real in the club. Like I got the text and phone call yesterday. He's aware of it. I'm sorry for pointing. Mr. Keith is very aware of it. We mentioned TikTok, we mentioned education. So when we work with kids, we think about it, is it an educational action? Is it a suspension action or is it an expulsion? TikTok, there was a challenge within, right? right? Kids were doing photographs on TikTok someone's knee on another kid. And that was club. The one the five or six photographs that went nat national. That kid's in our club. Right? Yeah. Well he's not in our club. Because we told him. Right? Father called me with a death threat. He needs something and something. He says with a death threat, our egg is our house is being egged, vandalized. We had to leave town for a week just until things settled down. He's 13 years old. 13, right? Can you take him back? 
you need something to lighten all. Let's do this. Enjoy the summer. Go do what you do. See how your kid is. See how you guys are. And call me when we're getting ready to start back up and we'll revisit. Right? That's me not kicking the can down the street. That was me just saying, I think you just need to get your shit together. Deal with it. We're formulating this anyway. It gives us some time to think about education, suspension, expulsion. And so he's not in the club. Now, if you want to start looking at details, so expulsion is not part of it. It's just to embrace this kid. Right? He's 13. He, he will be 14 now in this next 12 months, somewhere. He may have turned 14 already, right? If he's always one. What do you do? Well, too late? Already made a mistake. Move on. Well, first off, I think y'all did the right thing about or at least spending that time on the club. Right. Not only sending messages to him and his family, to the rest of the club that message needs to be sent, that, that is not planning, not playing around for the game. That's the clear message you sent, and so that needs to be done. Second part comes with the educational part. It's exactly what we've been talking about here. I think you guys need to sit down with them or Zoom meeting or something with the parents as well to educate them that, okay, yes, the person's very young. I'm also a big, big believer as well. You know, the Apostle Paul, how he was Saul before, killed Jews and et cetera. How you know, Jesus himself gave him a second opportunity. And so I think these instances like that occur for a reason. I think this is a big, as sad as it is, getting death threats and you know, house egg and stuff, we won't really wish up on anybody. But this is a key educational time for him and his family to now since getting ready for high school, getting ready for college, getting ready to be a grown man in life. And I think this is going to be a turning point in his life where he needs to be educated on why what he did was not good, why what your family and your police probably installed in those situations that they needed to you know, buy some things as well. And you know, maybe not next year, but a couple years or whatever, he's turning around and making some progress, maybe doing a little trial, maybe something you know, comes out of it. Because I do think that people do learn from experiences, but you really don't know until time tells you, and time feels long time is really going to show you. So I would do, you know, along with what you're saying, take a year, maybe even two years to see how he's been growing over these past couple months, see how the family, the family is key. Because we only get two hours of a whole day out of 24 hours with the kid in the training field. When they go back home, my parents be in the car. I my dad plenty of times to make him, you need to do this on the field, that, that. Your coach telling you this, not scratch that, do this. And the parents have a big influence on the kid's life. And so the parents are educated as well. When he comes back home, the whole family knows from then on what to do from there on out. Do you think he can, do you think he can be a catalyst for change for a lot of kids in the club? And so like you take, let, let's say, and this is so hypothetical, I'm not even, it's way above my pick rate. But if you had him back in, and he talked about how badly he messed up and now how he feels, can he be a catalyst for change for others? I think he can play using his platform and not too many kids are training on TikTok. TikTok in general, whether good or bad, just going nationwide. But he himself raised on a national scene, I think, when he does come around, maybe I'm not saying he is going to come around, we don't know, but if he does come around to a sense where he's educated enough or feels comfortable enough, I think he can be used for people to learn from his experiences because that's our best form of teaching his experiences. He's got a hell of a TED, uh, a TED talk in Tim, 13 years. And I think it's a it's it's heavy to put that on, you guys remember 13 and 14? Yeah. So it's, and even 15, 16, 17, I mean, yeah. 
that's that stuff when your whole life revolves around your friends and peer pressure, right? Now you're gonna stand on a soapbox and say, hey, I, I did this thing that was so bad, right? And I'm just gonna tell you how to learn from it. I think it's a, that's that's tough for him. And I think the kid will 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 get past this. It's the parents having the toughest time, thinking how can our kid, how did our kids do this, right? What are you doing at home that made your kid think? I'm not saying my kids are, are angels, but something in their head, something in their heart is gonna say, ah, probably this isn't. My dad is gonna kill me if I do this, right? Like this is it, right? And and they didn't put that moral compass in their art. So it's it's really on them. They're the ones who need to get that TED talk straight. But we did the right thing. There is no there is no standing in the corner on this one, right? It's tough. In fact, if you looked that kid in the eye, you wouldn't have made that call. And it's good that you did because you're a father. But yeah, and, and that's what we have to do. We, there has to be a heavy hand. Right, Jamaican dad, I got spanked growing up for no reason. So it's all about the heavy. Yeah. I'm also that Jamaican dad. Yeah. Like, yeah. Don't listen to your coach. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think uh, just want to piggyback off of that. I think like right now, since the club is in transition, it's hard to have that heavy hand because the club is learning and everyone's kind of in this process together. But as like you know, as we start to get these systems in place where the kids are getting educated and you know they. They know what's you know what's right and wrong, and we know that because we've given them those those resources. I think after that, then it's okay to kind of be a little bit more heavy-handed because it's like, all right, we've set you up, we've given you all the right conversations, we've given you all the points, we've shown you all the different angles, and you come to decisions on your own. Like there still needs to be an education piece, but at the same time, the the. Uh, uh, consequences are then warranted. Yes. You know what I mean? I, I personally believe in second chances in life. Because I was having one. Yeah. But as a defender, I also believe in the first five minutes you make sure the striker knows you're there and send a message. Right? So I'm, I'm torn because I want to yeah. have one club, one love, say, let us help and impact and influence you. But also know it might not be. You tweeted that you took the kid back, but the next kid knows, and the next kid knows he's back in the club. So the, the, I'm told, um, that's why I want to kick out because it's but very new. Yeah. I think that can be a progressive thing if it's considered. So a question to you all that you were kind of asking. Do you see, and you kind of alluded to it when you said a year or two years uh, of that person re-entering the club. So you gave a time frame of a year or two years to look at what that would mean and what would happen over that period. If it's a year, if it's the, you know, the first half of the year, or if it's a full year, what would be the expectation of that player's engagement? Not so much to be a platform to speak, but engagement of commitment to wanting to play and really understanding and learning about what occurred without having the ability to play. Because it's easy to just return that with all of the sympathy of what occurred to them, right? Um, and, and they're giving that, that privilege back. What is that real value with? So it's, you know. Yeah, and a 13 and 14 year old is smart enough mm -hmm. and intelligent enough to sit and say the right things over Zoom. Mm -hmm. They make it sound great, right? Mm -hmm. and what do you think? You were involved well, in that. saying you have second chances. What, what are you talking about? So when I found out, I had a conversation with when I found out about 
it was the same thing, right? We talked about at that age, really, how how mature was he? Obviously, the decision was a dumb decision. But how mature was he? And then at that point, do we offer a second chance? But really, what will he learn from that? How what will he take from it? When is that? When is that chance? The second chance to be given? Um, and, and my thought process is different than the person I was talking to. Um, I do believe in second chance, yes, but I also understand these are tough times. And it does go back to the parents. It's about how they're raised in their home. Because we don't have but two hours or four hours we know, no matter where they go, that we are impacting them. But what is their home life look like? Uh, but the other thing that, again, right, is when you talk to somebody, you talk to fill up in there. I mean, you know, maybe he doesn't have a home life. So maybe we are his safety. But we have to make the right decision. In my opinion, as a club, right now, that decision was a great decision. You said it. Look, it sends a put the family aside for a second. Right? It's, not, it's hardly about them. It's about this club. Right? And it sends the message to everybody else, every other kid who is thinking about what is right and what is wrong. When they see this and our reaction to it, they know that they are consequences. To those type of actions, and we can, we can, we can, because we're human beings, we can feel bad. We can want them to come back in a year, in two years, all of that, because we're human, and that's all good. But I think for us as a club, which is why we're here, we need to, we need to send a message to not just our members, but to other clubs in North Carolina, to other clubs around the country, to say, look, this is what happened to us. It can happen to you as well. What are you going to do? This is what we and I, and I think from an education standpoint, uh, a lot that has been put out on anti-racism. So I teach at USC Charlotte as well. So a lot of the stuff that I teach my college students about, a student or a kid in middle school gets six to seven hours with their peer group and maybe an hour or two with their family. And then if they play competitive sports during a week, they get two to three hours. So the way that schools have now become segregated based on where families live, and the segregation of schools. So from an education standpoint of educating players, I feel like that's gotta be part of the education process because a lot of these implicit and explicit biases yeah. literally reside in a schoolhouse yeah. and in the school buildings where kids spend 30 to 36 hours a week with their peers. Hey, I just got a smile listening to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a tough one. Did we make the right decision? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, the, the decision now is about the second chance. Yeah. 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 We yeah. agree that's, the decision that was made was correct, but it's yeah. where we go from here in terms of second chance. These 13 year olds, let's flip this, and we have it as um, because this whole one club, one love, spirit off from um, Black Lives Matter in regards to us. We've had many youth that have made dumb mistakes and have had back bad. Home brain, and we have fought and desired for them to have a second chance. Yeah. Someone to just support and help them. Now, because this is flipped and this is a white person, and it's something that's related against us, does not mean we flip that, that script of compassion and understanding. And that's what's on the table now. What do we do from a second chance perspective of a 13 year old? Now, granted, his family structure may not be, but that's what I'm speaking to, what that second chance dynamic looks like in terms of accountability during that period of time, because it will be an effect on the family as well. So I don't think it's something that says, oh yeah, 
you're 13 years old, we under, you know, we're giving you the summer, you've heard him, and, and you, I think you said the father's saying this boy is feeling suicidal uh, because of the things that's happening. And that pressure at that age, there's a lot of thoughts going on, a big rise in suicide of our youth, of being able to handle things, and it's fragile, and it's serious. You know, so how do you handle that? Uh, but not to just comply to that, and that's what I'm saying about what that looks like. It may be his engagement with the club so that he's connected and engaged and he's hopeful, but he's not giving the full care yet. You've got to earn this back. Mm -hmm. And that may be the route towards the second chance versus the second chance that's given. Yeah, but it gives something because that pressure for suicide is very real among these youths, and, and they're so fragile today about handling the pressure. And, and and the compassion to be there with that because as us as African American blacks here of understanding that dynamic and how easy it can be in the youth to make a simple mistake and we have you know percentages in prison for What about uh, what about purity? Like I feel like if, if the kids that they are on their team have uh, some say in that decision whether the kid comes back, I mean do you feel like the kids are I mean, maybe 13 might be a little bit young, but mature enough to look at a situation and be transparent and say, well, you know, have that kid go in front of a board, a board or, you know, of, of kids his age or, you know, different age groups throughout the club or, you know, whatever it is, I don't know, but maybe that, there could be some sort of element. Yeah, there. I think with are looking at what we are establishing, like, we're looking at captain's council yeah. this year, where we start getting captains in. Uh, for different things like so they own uh, the room the room is done from the trips for the over age, right? And uh, maybe this is something we can throw at them a little bit and um, but there's nothing set right now for you know, and I'd I hate to get the ownership to certain teams because they would have to know the knuckleheads might be but that's really what we did before you know it. Yeah, but it gets back to you if you put that ownership at that group, then it becomes again an avenue that they can leverage and use to say, oh, well, this happens, we just do this, and we get that. Yeah. So I, I, I personally don't think that's a space to put this, but a space at the club alone to make yeah. decisions on what that is. I think the base is stronger than the, the risk right now. Mm -hmm. yes. uh, and yes. I think maybe that's where we're going to really formulate some stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's not how a, a decision made from a point of weakness, yes. right? Mm -hmm. I, I think it's, it's, it's a, so, yeah, it might, it might help to, and again, this is hypothetical as well, but and, and as we look to be inclusive, it might be it might be helpful to invite the parents to a conversation like this. Oh, for and sure. Then, and then not let anybody know that they're the parents. We're not even going to necessarily talk about is Thomas Sacramento? Sarah, now you know why you're here. <laughs> <laughs> and not even, you know, not even just so, because again, clearly they didn't have this type of education. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I, mean, I hate to, to assume that, but just based on the facts, mm -hmm. this is the exact type of setting that they need to be in, right? And and that's our way of putting our arms our arms around them, right? And then after they're gonna go home and talk to little Charlie. And maybe impart some of that wisdom that they learned here. And make a they are not our responsibility. No, but they're going to also make they a decision. Say it that way. Because, but it know, is. Yeah, but they they want this club and they want their child for the club. 
But she, I think that's an excellent idea in terms of where we stand. That if they would make a decision themselves to, no, we really don't want this. Is there is more rooted in them than we thought? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Correct. Right. Right. Even, even though people play the game as well, it's still a privilege yeah, to be yeah, here. Yeah. Right? Coach Sarah, you looked at me like I was crazy. Well, no, I, I just think it's difficult, right? Because, and this touches on what we were talking about earlier, right? Some quantitative change, which is so easy to implement, and you have to have 50 hours yeah. of community service over the next year that you come back. That can be nothing, right? So it's qualitative change. I mean, we really want five kids out of families. Is the burden of that education on us? Maybe. Is the burden of proof on them to, to demonstrate that qualitative change? I mean, certainly. I think that's on such a micro scale, but I think that's ultimately in the bigger picture what we're looking for as well. On the macro scale, mm -hmm. how can we get that change? I can validate it. I think um, again, this is this has been personally for me. Uh, it's been wonderful. I, I think I think we're doing it. I mean, I think we need to. I talked about grace earlier. I think we need to give ourselves some grace and pat ourselves on the back, just maybe twice. Don't get carried away. What we're doing here is good. It's good for the club. I think it's good for us individually, and I really hope that the Kings here understand that you know we're really here for you guys. Um, and so thank you for coming. Uh, I'm not discouraged by the number of you who came. I'm encouraged that the guys who did come wanted to be here. Now you take what you've learned from here, and you know impart the wisdom right so thank you for that and so we've probably gone over our time but there's going to be another one of these right and we expect now you guys have signed the decree you have to come to the next one and so bring somebody else with you um thomas i really really fast um thank you that's it yeah thank you um and people have got to know me a little bit i love music no. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. Don't worry. You're standing up, though. You can do it. You said diversity of culture, diversity of music. What's in your car right now? You read. Turn it up, put the windows down, and really listen in there. <laughs> oh, by the way, I, I'm, I'm going to maybe go around. Go, go, go. Just the players. <laughs>
who um, who sang that song. I'm just, yeah, I, yeah. I just want to live. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, which is, the kids yeah. call me. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that that song is actually you know it's like the anthem yeah. for this yeah. moment. Yeah. 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 It's tremendous. So lucky day is a guy. Who are you listening to? Oh, Stevie Wonder. <laughs> Today's a Stevie Wonder day. Today's an upbeat day. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming through. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh,